and welcome everyone this is now the sixth episode of the army of smartness podcast i am one of your co-hosts ryan along with me as always i can always say always now uh mr jd jd how are you sir i am doing well ryan one of the original atlanta legends looking at that hat makes me wistful for the days of the very briefly run american all-american football conference right that's what that was from well hey they they ended up about as successful as the xfl um hey the xfl's still around technically they they are they're coming back i you know what it was not the xfl's fault covid hit them that that was that relaunch of the xfl was actually pretty doggone entertaining yeah um i i don't care for how vince structured that league uh, the, the way that it was set up was that, uh, well, he ended up screwing a lot of people out of money. Uh, well, he and, uh, Luck sold their, their case, right? Well, Jonathan Coachman, for example, like, Oh paid, yeah. I remember hearing like, that. He'd like $20,000 out of his own pocket to go around and travel and, and do the play-by-play and all this other stuff. And he got stuck with the bill. Yeah. That's and, a tremendous interview. Was that Conrad that did that with, with Coachman? Yeah. yeah go out of your way to find that. Um, it, it, that is a tremendous interview. Jonathan Coachman, uh, fantastically, uh, fantastically interesting dude. Much more interesting than I gave him credit for. Right. Yeah. That's the thing I like about it is you don't expect it. That's a damn good interview. Yeah. It's, and he can, by the way, he also had opinions on the, um, the plane ride from hell that the dark side of the ring missed out on. Uh, we should, you should also check that, but that was on his Twitter. Um, now I think, now I think he's a bookie. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's doing some sort of sports show and making, uh, sport bets and promoting all that stuff. Anyways, supervisor walk in. Yeah. Uh, white meat baby face is making a run in here. (laughs) Oh, and he's diaper only. So he's ready for action. He's ready for all kinds of action. I hear you. Well, uh, this is, uh, just, just so the, our, our listening audience knows this is not our usual time for recording. And so they're bright eyed and bushy tailed this morning. It's it's okay. JD, you don't have to mute it. I can, I can always cut it out. Oh, Bobby. Hey, hey, you were up. Yes, I know. You're, you're up. Oh, there you go. There's there's Bubba. For those of you watching our feed, which if you're doing that, how the hell are you doing it? You're not broadcasting it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I literally made but, it a minute uh, ago. <laughs> there he is. Now, yeah, now the um, the coach interview, tremendous, tremendous uh, entertainment. And, uh, you know, it comes off, and I think he kind of says it in the interview, as a one-off. He's like, I'm not doing this again. I'm laying all my cards on the table. I got nothing to prove to anybody. I mean, he's made it in the, the quote-unquote legit sports media world uh you know haven't been on espn for years so he is a a a fantastically interesting guy and has had very close contact with interesting folks in the wrestling circle so you know i can't can't recommend that interview enough that was not even on our run sheet here but uh just a little throw in there i gave him a wireless keyboard so he has something to play with (laughs) oh that's good they love that thing man I, i don't get it the wireless keyboard yeah well because they just like to press the buttons dude there was a on southauction.com there was a they there was a lot on there that had a complete commodore 64 set wow like had like three keyboards like and it all worked 
Uh, well, a- as much as a Commodore 64 works. As well as it's going to work, yeah. But I, I thought about placing a bid on it. That's neat. All right. Well, we'll get down to the meat of the matter today. We are, today, we are covering the Flare Ricky Steamboat Trilogy from 1989. And JD, I don't know if Ric Flair had a better year than 1989. What do you think? Well, you know, I don't think you're wrong there because that, that's a tremendous, tremendous time. I mean, it's funny because that's when the herd era really got started and it would end, shall we say, poorly. Uh, but it gets off to a great start because this is all in the first half of the year of 1989. Um, you know, we talked about Mount Rushmore's and so forth. People always talk about this trilogy of matches between Flair and Steamboat. People always talk about WrestleMania 3 match between uh, Macho Man and Steamboat. Guess what? Maybe Steamboat's pretty freaking good. There might be a common denominator there. Yeah, I feel like uh, you know th- these things have something in common. And we'll get into it later, but this, this trilogy, particularly the second match, the two out of three falls, every wrestler coming up needs to watch this watch what they're doing and you know i don't want to get into the whole thing yet but it's tremendous uh yeah flair is at the peak of his powers here as is steamboat now flair will tell you as he said in a few interviews i've heard that his and steamboat's best matches were actually for the u.s title probably 10 years prior to this uh unfortunately no video exists of those so let's have to take rick's word for it i don't i don't doubt him but for for my money it does not get much better than what we've got right now well, and we also call this a trilogy. They also had a house show uh, in 1989 mm-hmm. that Dave Meltzer actually gives six stars to. Uh, so breaking the scale, yeah, breaking the scale, breaking the rules. This between these two guys, I mean, you're not really going to find a much better match. I off the top of my head, I can't think. Uh, I, I know, I know a few that I would put right up there with it. Nothing better. Yeah, that's uh, particularly the second match. I think just psychology wise and yeah, I talked, we talked about Arn Anderson uh, in our great American bash review in a previous episode that look at him. He's always where he's supposed to be. Ricky and Rick are, are like that too. I mean, if you watch these matches, they, it makes perfect sense what they're doing when they do it. Um, there was a, there was a, a, an exchange, I believe it was in the second match. I think in the second fall of the second match, if I'm not mistaken, where, you know, whereas normally now people would just throw a guy into the ropes and duck down and just wait for the spot to come to them. Ricky is, is attacking the spot. Like he's coming at it and it makes it, frankly, it makes it real. It it makes it look like a fight, quote unquote, a professional fight should. Exactly. And you know, it's funny, Rick, Ricky Steamboat is in, we'll say four or five of the best single matches of all time. Mm -hmm. He's in several of the best tag team matches of all time. Yeah, the, the one that the one that we watched on Clash um, in Savannah. Yes, that, that may very well be one of the That's best tag team. Seventeen. It was a great match, apart from the entrance, which I think lost something. Everything else about that match was just impeccable. The, the actual match itself, uh, absolutely impeccable. You're you're not going to find too much better. So let's let's uh, let's sort of set the stage of this this trilogy of matches so this is 1989 this is one year after ted turner has purchased the nwa uh well, jim crockett to, promotions jim crockett promotions yeah about to turn it into wcw so we're we're actually one year into the jim hurt era and for all the grief that we give jim hurt over the ridiculous gimmicks 
Rightfully like, so. like you said earlier, it did start out very solid. And mm -hmm. this is sort of really class. Like if I'm Jim Hurd and I'm putting something on a resume for what I did, I'm putting Flair Steamboat there a number one. Yeah, I, I don't think you need anything else. I mean, obviously, we don't know how much, if anything, uh, Hurd had to actually do with it. Obviously, the, the participants came up with the match, but... Yeah, it happened on his watch, so he gets the credit. So, man, that that was if you're gonna naysay him for crap that happened on his watch later on down the line, we got to be fair and give him credit. Hey, this happened under his watch as well. And yeah, uh, if if agreed, if if this is my curriculum vitae as uh, as Jim heard, I'm just showing a reel of these matches. <laughs> there you go. And and honestly, I would say that that uh, wrestler entrances did improve under Jim Heard. The lighting was much better as a general rule than it had been in the past so it, you know it's not all bad when it comes to jim hurd uh, no but, but there's a lot of bad he yeah what is bad is really bad but he had at least the idea to try to bring the production standards up to a wwf at the time level again we see that's a not so i don't think it's the worst idea but it's also flawed in its thinking uh we talked about bischoff you know pointing out you got to be greater than less than or equal or excuse me or different than and her just wasn't outside of this kind of match like the technical wrestling in the match gimmick wise and production wise he was trying to be greater than wwe at the same thing and you can't you're not going to do that they need to focus on this kind of i hate to use the term sports entertainment yeah. emphasis on the sport rather than the entertainment uh because this is the high watermark of this kind of stuff to me exactly so we'll we'll set the stage a bit for mr steamboat here um he's just coming from the wwf through to a semi-retirement kayfabe well i don't even know if his semi-retirement was kayfabe at first perhaps it was legit he did wanted to he did want to stay home he had just had a kid uh, yeah, a little who, ricky who plays uh somewhat prominently in in a few of these matches and certainly in the build yes and so the storyline here is that Ricky Steamboat does not want to come out of retirement unless it is for a shot at the NWA title. And I think Flair, to an extent, I say to an extent, they had had so many good matches 10 years prior that, man, this is this is the money match right here. We got to get Steamboat out. So Flair is doing whatever he can to get Steamboat to come out of retirement. Now, Steamboat shows up into the uh, into one of the bill uh i forget which show it was but it, it's part of the package on the chi-town rumble which is obviously chicago in 1989 and he tells steamboat to go home and do the dishes with the missus uh so the the entire angle if you will on the steamboat flare trilogy is we have a ladies man versus a family man you've got right. the traditional i say tradition but you've got the big heel with all the ladies all that stuff. And then you got the family man, the baby face, like you called him the consummate baby face. A matter of fact, Ricky Steamboat, to my knowledge, has never been a heel in his entire career. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. And so that's the bill that we're going with on this. So JD, why don't you, uh, why don't you take it from there? Well, you know, and to your point, I think that the, the, if there's a screw up here, it is sort of in that build because you'll see it See a little bit in Chicago. You'll see it a little bit in, in New Orleans as well. The crowd turns on Steamboat just a little bit because if you're an 18 to 24 uh, to 34 year old male, you know, you don't want to be saddled with the wife. Again. And of course, 
Bonnie Steamboat is a, is a story unto herself, allegedly. She's a, a, a bit of an agitator backstage, has, has always been the report. But I think you you lose something in, in making Ricky so squeaky clean. And whereas Rick is a heel, but he's one of the first cool heels. And we've kind of touched on that in the past, where that can come back to bite you. Uh, because if who do you want to be? I mean, if we look in the third batch. Rick, uh, Rick comes to the ring with like five women. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, if you're, you know, a red blooded 18 to 34 year old American male, which one do you want to be? Right. Exactly. So, he, com- he comes with five women and then 20 women follow yes, him. He does. <laughs> so we're like, and I'll just say it looked kind of cold in that, uh, in that yeah. arena. <laughs> yeah. They may have, uh, they may have had the AC pumping on that one, but yeah. So the first one, as you mentioned, is in Chicago, at the shy town rumble. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is cut for time. This is also, I think this is the one they have some technical issues, like maybe not all of the tape exists anymore or something like that. So if you watched on Peacock, there's some glitches that kind of jumps around. Like at the very beginning, they say, well, we've got the world title match. And then it skips ahead. And they're like, wait a minute. What, what just happened? So anyway, yeah, it, it's good. Uh, we've got the world's most dangerous ring, amounts, uh, ring announcer, uh, Michael Capetta, Gary Michael Capetta. Just leaning on Ric Flair for all it's worth. I'll tell you that. Senior official Tommy Young is in the ring and just a tremendous, tremendous referee. Again, we talk about placement and timing a lot in these, and I don't want to get too granular with the technical details, but if you watch Tommy Young, he is where he should be for things to make sense. Like when, uh, yeah, we're going to get to it later, but when Steamboat comes off the top and crashes him and Flair, Tommy didn't seem out of place by being where he was like he should have been where he was. So it made it natural that he would get hit. If, if that makes yeah. any sense. And and to more to your point on how the crowd sort of turns a little bit on steamboat at time, this is Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's it. Chicago is traditional, excuse me, traditionally one of the most lit towns when it comes oh, to yeah. wrestling and you better bring it. If you're coming to Chicago and Philly and, and Chicago. Yeah. Philly, Philly, Chicago, Toronto, those are yep. generally the the biggest crowds in terms of uh in terms of just just being crazy, crazy. Well, if, particularly for Jim Crockett promotions and then the nascent WCW here, uh Chicago, Philly, and Baltimore are the are the cities that are kind of outside of the traditional southeastern footprint that were major, major strongholds for the NWA. Uh, at during this era so this is a very much a wrestling town and they love themselves some rick flair they love and they love ricky too but they love ricky too but yeah they they were literally cheering for both sides you you didn't see a whole lot of booze for either one um i I guess if if somebody got more booze it would be rick but that's not saying a whole lot because these this is pretty neck and neck this crowd really respected both both of them they appreciate what they're watching which is great Exactly. And I mean, they, they are watching, literally watching history. This is, if you put a Mount Rushmore together of, uh, matches, greatest matches ever, you can make a argument on all three of these matches that they had. Yeah. Take your pick. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge, and we talked about this off the air, but, uh, the second match I think is the best. It, 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 to me, it's almost a star Wars comparison. Yeah, when you're a little kid, you love Star Wars, you love the Empire Strikes, or excuse me, you love Return of the Jedi. You get a little bit older and you kind of appreciate the connective tissue and what's being done uh, sort of dramatically. Empire Strikes Back really starts to come into it. It's like, oh my God, that's awesome. And that's what I feel like the second match is. Yeah. 
And so the, the match is getting started. Uh, they get into a headlock pinning sequence for a solid mm-hmm. two, two or three minutes, which it's, it, it, and it's not like just a one here or a one there. I mean, that's almost near falls for a solid sure. two or three minutes. And at that point in time, I don't know that you saw something quite like that. Uh, what, what it is, is that steamboat has flare into a headlock and there's a pin that flare turns him over, tries to pin him over there and then gets it back into a headlock and then steamboat flips him on his back and he tries to get the pin and it's back and forth, back and forth on that. It's, and this actually is a sequence that you will see, I believe in all three of their matches. Uh, right. Yeah, there are a lot of, um, uh, variations on a theme in yeah. these matches. Yeah. And, and it's, and I'm not, uh, I would watch it again. It, oh, it yeah. was, it was very entertaining. I mean, just pinning combination, really? <laughs> well, and another thing to keep in mind too. watch this. I know uh, we've had some, uh, folks that listen to the show say, Hey, what should we, what makes a good wrestling match? What should we be looking for to tell a good match for a bad match? Look at the shoulders on these pinfalls. They're actually down. Like, you know, you see a lot of times now, especially, I feel like you see guys being lazy with their, both their covers and for actually just laying there for the pin, their shoulders aren't, aren't really down. Uh, even with, at, at, at the fall, they're not really down for three seconds. Look at these, these shoulders are down and they're popping them up. Uh, it's, it's great what makes a good match there are no there are no wasted moves it yeah, makes sense absolutely Smooth. Te- i mean and it tells a story absolutely it, you know we're not throwing away they they did not throw away a, a top rope or a tope suicida just for the sake of trying to push somebody right. no that that's not what they did without they, trying to wow you with their acrobatic prowess exactly and i i gotta say was there ever a better arm drag or leapfrog than what steamboat could do his arm drag particularly is just a thing of beauty. It's fluid. I, I, it's, it, was, it, it, it speaks of an agility that is almost cat-like. I don't, I don't know. I can't really put it into words, but if you see this thing, it is just smooth and it doesn't look like he's waiting to do it, if that makes sense. Like it, it seems organic. It, it, is, it is the screwball of arm drags it is just something that you rarely see and when you do see it like holy hell like it's 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 a question would you rather see a kurt angle moonsault or a ricky steamboat arm drag with all due respect to the dearly beloved um ricky steamboat that time stops when kurt angle comes off on the moonsault i i it's like i said i think uh, during our mount rushmore discussion it's that air jordan hang time that seems to defy physics. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Kurt, but nothing. I mean, the arm drag is such a simple maneuver. You see him in so many matches, but to do that so well and just get it perfect. It is incredibly, um, it speaks incredibly well of, of Ricky steamboat. I know we don't talk about him a lot and we shouldn't. And I understand, but it's almost like Crispin Benoit's snap suplex like that, that. God, it's a simple thing, but damn, it's right. Well, would you rather, how about this? Would you rather see a Ricky Steamboat arm drag or a Mr. Perfect drop kick? Ooh, man. Now you're testing me because the thing with perfect is he can draw his knees up and then put, push his legs straight out at the apex of the jump. And that is so hard. Not to only do. that, but he has sort of a curve at the end. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost, it's almost like it's a spinning heel kick, but it's not. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Ricky over that because I've seen a couple other people be able to do that. Um, I think it was actually early in his career, a friend of the show, Carl's going to love this. Randy Orton had a <laughs> tremendous dropkick as well uh, as, as a young youngster coming in. Well, you know, Randy Orton has the best arm drag too. Well, yeah, and moonsault. Obviously. And moonsault. And I, I literally, I think Randy Orton has literally never done a moonsault, but it's, if he did, it would be the best. Yeah, yeah the, only, the, the only reason that Kurt Angle is better is because Randy Orton allows it. That's right. <laughs> I tell you. Uh, but yeah, no, um, you, get, you get Flair powdering here, and you'll see this again in the second match. You, you'll see it again, I think, um, maybe done to better effect in the second match, where Flair, he ducks out of the ring, and he's kind of challenging Ricky as a man. Say, all right, okay, you want to fight dirty? Let's fight. Let's, we can fight dirty out here. Come on, baby. What you got? Oh, uh, man, they, it's, it's, uh, it's such a treat to watch it. Where they're both feeling it, and it, I mean, what can you say? The psychology is just the psychology. The moves, phenomenal. the the build was solid. By the way, I'm just spoiler alert. All five, all three of these get five stars out of me. Um, I, matter of fact, I think the second one might get five and a half to. Uh, I was gonna say, if I'm doing thumbs up, thumbs down, I'm doing two thumbs up on that second match. Whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, two whoa, thumbs now. up. Is, we're the making scale here. We are making history. That's right. The first this is ever an historic event. The first ever AOS two thumbs up goes to Clash of Champions six Raging Cajun. Which, by the way, well, I don't. Let's get through the first match first. I don't want to talk. I don't want to shoot my lot on the second match quite yet. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we got Jr. on commentary. Jr. again. It, we talk about Steamboat and Flair being at the peak of their power. So is Jr. here. Uh, it sounds like a sport uh, as you would you would broadcast a sport. Bob Connell, I believe, is the, is the announced partner on this one. And I love Bob Cottle, but I feel like you have two play-by-play guys. Like, I, w- I would rather have seen, as we see in the second match, uh, Terry Funk uh, or someone else on, on the stick as well with, uh, with JR, uh, just to give that little well, color, frankly. I got you. Yeah, I, I'm, I sort of agree with that. I, I would have liked to have seen maybe a heel or, or anyway. Whatever. Well, an ex-wrestler. I mean, Bob Cottle is a lot of wonderful things, but uh, any sort of wrestler, he, he is not. Yeah, I agree with that. So I, I noticed in this match that Steamboat just hits a, a beautiful-looking butterfly suplex. You don't really see that too much anymore. Yeah, it's, that it's, double underhook. Um, yeah, as you say, butterfly suplex, that looked great. It looked yeah. great. I, it's uh, God. I miss Larry's a bit because I mean that, well, that was his move and he was, yeah, the best no, absolutely. It. well, until the Larry land sleeper, but yes, <laughs> well, that that's also, uh, so the, the spot with the running cross body to the outside by flair sends both of them to the outside. And, and this is back in a time where that, that really didn't happen a whole lot. Um, right. But most of the matches that would stay generally between the ropes, but, uh, this one sends them outside and it's so beautiful look it looked real so and, and well if you if you listen to the chops a lot of it is real. yeah <laughs> flair and steamboat are both laying them in and by the time the match is over both of them are, are red across the chest it's it's terrible i mean it's good yeah no well and if you look and maybe i'm seeing it wrong but flair is using the the flat of the hand to get the big pop mm-hmm. whereas uh steamboat looks to be using the edge of the hand which doesn't sound as it doesn't resonate as much with a sound, but God, that's got to hurt. It sounds solid. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, it's not like a thud, like, Oh, that, it hurts. You listening to it. And 
you know, Jr. as you were saying that he's this vintage Jr. here's just screaming the dragon will fly as he's uh, hitting the flying cross buddy. It really sort of hits me in the, uh, yeah. every, it, there are a few people out there that can adequately call a match as I am feeling and Jr. is one. Of them. Yeah, no, he, he puts you in the moment in the the emotions of the moment and um as i said you know he is in rare form here of course he's got a lot to work with these guys are giving him a lot and so you know and, and he always talks about the wrestlers providing the music and he's providing the lyrics and this ma- meshes so well i agree in these instances so he hits the flying crossbody it hits both flair and the ref the ref is out poor tommy young tommy young oh tommy young uh, Tommy Young, by the way, is not going to be refing much longer. He actually, Tommy Rich breaks his neck. Yeah, but say he gets a broken neck, doesn't he? Yeah, Tommy Rich uh, accidentally dropped him on his neck. I believe it was between a match between him and Mike Rotunda. Got a little too fired up. Something like that. And uh, poor Tommy Young has to end his uh, ref career. And it, it, that's a shame. I would have liked to have seen him go through to the 90s WO matches out of it. Uh, yeah. He, well, I mean, you think about it, you know, Tommy Young, we had the heel referee in um, Baby Kenny Powers, uh, not Randy, not Randy, Randy Anderson was a baby face one. Nick what, Patrick. Uh, Nick Patrick, thank you. And he's not Lincoln. a baby. That dude's 6'4". <laughs> well, but, I mean, with the, he didn't have quite the Kenny Powers. Well, it just getting there. But my well, point in is. The, in the Nick Patrick matches, when he was refing for the for the luchadors, he kind of looked like their chaperone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was that uh, Bobby Heenan said the uh, luchador battle royal looked like a riot at a daycare center. <laughs> so it was, uh, it's fantastic. Anyway, but to... I think you, there would have been a good angle there with Tommy Young representing WCW versus Nick Patrick representing the NWO. Whether they met in a head-to-head confrontation, I don't think we needed that. But uh, I think it would have been an interesting subplot. And you get it a little bit with Randy Anderson. That's why his name popped up in my head. But I think Tommy Young was uh, the third man in the ring for so many of these classic encounters. Yeah, I think Pee Wee Anderson was like 5'3", five, 5'4". Five, well, they called him Pee Wee for a reason. Uh, I mean, his name was Pee but yeah, I would have liked to have seen that. But anyways, so the uh, during all of this, when the referee is down, Steamboat actually hits a small package roll up, and another ref, I forget which one, actually comes. It was Peanut Head, wasn't it? Was it Peanut it, Head? It, it looked like him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it, another ref comes in, counts the three. It's not the ref that is supposed to be working the match, uh, so it sets up another match later. But anyways, so he hits the counts the three. Steamboat is your new NWA world champion is the first, I believe his first uh, world championship, heavyweight championship. I, I think that's correct. A yeah. First I and believe, only. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which he holds for about three months, but that's kind of getting the spoiler territory. But yeah, it look, they didn't say who it was, but it looked like Teddy Long to me that it slides mm-hmm. in and makes the count. So again, we talk about the psychology. You have the, the heel here with a somewhat legitimate gripe. And this is what I was talking about with uh, Nick, with uh, t- uh, Tommy Young being in the right place to get hit by the cross body. So it made sense. You know, you have the heel with a little bit of a legitimate gripe here. And that's, again, we're doing variations on a the theme. We're going to see that again in the second encounter. Exactly. They did a post-match promo as they usually do. You know, they don't do post-match promos anymore. <laughs> they don't. Kind of- you know, I miss the little picture in picture promo of a guy when guys coming down the ramp and they say we got his comments we had his comments earlier in the day and here they are and i missed that i think that's a that's an effective use of, of time but yeah you get the locker room celebration which we had seen obviously in the wwf with, with hogan and andre 
you know, and, and we would see again in the future for a while, but I think everybody's gone now. <laughs> they leave before the main event's over so they can yeah, beat traffic. He's getting, uh, yeah, Steamboat gets the champagne bath as they're giving the post-match promo. He gets that stuff in his eyes and getting champagne in your eyes is painful. It's awful. I remember feeling so bad for him watching this. And I look at Michael PSAs with the sh- eating, eating grin. He knows what he's doing. That's a rib. That's a rib. I'm wondering if they're ribbing him on this. No, it is. It's a hundred percent on purpose. Cause then like, like he gets the towel and towels off and and gets, tries to get out of his eyes, out of his eyes. And somebody dumps it straight over his head. I mean, yeah, come on. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't on accident. I mean, you look at the poor guy's eyes afterwards and they're they're red. They're as red as the sun. It hurts so bad. Oh man. But anyways, so he's like, uh, yeah, I'm going to be the fighting champion. Thank you, Ric Flair. And it sort of just starts, you start to see just a little bit here and there of what is, to, they, they actually mentioned Terry Funk earlier in the match about the greats to ever win the NWA title. And then the next match comes The next along. match, it starts putting on a little bit heavier. Yeah. You know, so one we'll, month we'll later. We'll talk about that. All right. So one, one month later, we have the Clash of Champions 6, Raging Cajun. Uh, this is at, I believe this is at the set. I think so. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, because I think, um. They mentioned in the match that Terry Funk, who's on commentary, was the first NWA champion to defend at the Superdome. And now we have it again here with with Steamboat. Yeah, and as we mentioned, one month earlier, Steamboat beat Flair to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. And the match had a little bit of a screwy finish as far as um, Ric Flair and Hiro Matsuda. Uh, we forgot to mention that Matsuda was there. Yes, well, because he was eminently forgettable in in that role, unfortunately. Well, yeah, in that role, I, I think. In Hulk that Hogan, role, I think Hulk Hogan remembers him. Hulk Hogan <laughs> knows him real well, real, real well. <laughs> at least uh, knows, at least knows his leg. Yeah, uh, he he knows Zero Matsuda can break a leg if he wants to. <laughs> but anyway, so this match coming up is is a two out of three falls. He said, "You can basically you can cheat me one time. You bet you can't cheat me twice. Best two out of three. And, and here's something um, for fans who maybe casual fans or don't know what two out of three falls is if you listen even today occasionally you'll get uh the ring announcer at the beginning of a match if you can hear him over the music say the following match is scheduled for one fall so that's most of them right it's uh, most matches are one fall to a finish this is two out of three uh, with about a commercial breaks worth of uh rest periods and i want to point out this is on free television well cable television this is not a pay-per-view this is on the superstation tbs the mothership if you will i don't i didn't look to see what this was being counter-programmed against but to devote Really, what winds up being a half of the show's actual runtime, I think it's a three-hour program, but it's always like two hours and some change with the commercials, to devote really what's half of the show's runtime to this match speaks a lot of both uh, WCW in terms of relying on what Rick and Ricky could do, but also TBS and the folks at Turner for letting them do it. Because this was shown with fairly, I don't know there were any commercials other than the breaks between falls. I, I believe that was it. I think they just, I think, so. I think they just had 60 second breaks. Uh, yeah. So basically you have an hour of television program with two 60 second breaks, commercial breaks. That's, that's fantastic. What is, you would never see that now. Yeah. And I, I do want to make a note that on this one, Sting defeated, defeated Rip Morgan for the world television title in a dark match. It, the the point yeah. in having a TV title is that it is defended, defended on, television. on TV. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. How is only hell? defended on television. 
how in the hell do you have a dark match for the TV title? Now yeah. of note, they actually showed it the next Saturday, uh, the following Saturday on Saturday, um, their, their regular WCW Saturday night. Yeah. WCW Saturday. Um, the, the, and also they, they mentioned the, I think this is where they mentioned the Luger U S title match. They would show on the next week, Saturday night as well, because they did the old, um, you know, two out of three falls with TV time remaining, which is, which is a 60 minute time limit, but they started it with, you know, about an hour of broadcast time to go. So in the mid South territory, you would see a lot and presumably other places did it too, but mid South is where I'm most familiar with seeing it. They were talking about a match having TV time remaining and should it finish early, there are standby matches ready to go on. And that's kind of what they're, they're promoting here. Say, okay, if this doesn't go the full 60 minutes, then we've got Luger that we can put on. Well, but if not, and, we'll have it next week. And, you know, you could just, like, not show that Lex Luger match. I don't think anyone complained. <laughs> well, anyway, so okay when, when, they, when they start off the uh, paper, this, oh, excuse me, it's not a pay-per-view, but when they start off the clash, one of the first things that they show really is Terry Funk, mm -hmm. along with Luthez and uh, I believe Pat O'Connor. They were honoring they're, legend. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to wind up being the judges panel in the third match. Yeah. The third and, and it's funny yeah. whenever you compare Terry Funk to those other two guys, Terry Funk is in a lot better shape and looks way better compared to Luthez and Pat O'Connor. And He's I 25 think that, years younger. Well, and I understand <laughs> that, but I, but I think that they're subliminally trying to tell people, Hey, this guy could still go, Come, you know, look, he's not one of these guys. He's able to do, he's able to get back in the ring. Uh, so I, I think. Maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I think that that could be something that they're saying, uh, let me just put this in your mind. Yeah. And we're going to get that um, a little bit later in the match when uh, Funk talks about, well, I'm not really retired, but yeah. And that, in the business, we call that foreshadow. Yeah. So, so yeah, Terry, Terry actually gets on the sticks uh, for this match with Jr. When I say get on the sticks, he's on commentary, which again, as we point out with the, the first encounter, um, yeah, we don't have two playbook pick guys. We have a we have a color commentator. And I think not again. I hate saying it because Bob Cottle is a, uh, neck and neck with Mick Foley, the nicest people in the history of professional wrestling, and good at his job. But for what this match needed, I'm glad Funk was there. Exactly. So, and you can really tell so much about a wrestler in the way that they take a wrist lock, mm. because a wrist lock, while a rather basic move, you've got to believe that this is painful so there's so much expression and storytelling in what rick flair and ricky steamboat are doing just in the wrist lock they do the the test of strength they put both of their hands up mm -hmm. and then it goes into the wrist lock and you know we we mentioned earlier what makes a good wrestling match watch their faces yes just in the wrist lock uh, it, it, it's just in the eyes i mean not even talk about you know, Flair's heavy breathing or, you know, oh God, oh God. no, just yeah. Yeah, it's all God, put it on uh, mute, put it on yeah. mute and watch their hands, their <clears throat> arms are shaking. They are actually selling the fact that it's painful and they are fighting each other on it. So yeah, it's a struggle, which and, everything and, doesn't need to look smooth and clean. Like today's wrestling, a lot of times it looks too smooth. Yeah, I, I don't mind a botch every now and then because this is supposed to be a fight. Everything doesn't go the way you want it to in a fight. It, it's it's a it's a awkward thing. Exactly. And I, again, just just in that wrist lock, the the headlock pinning sequence from the previous match shows up again, and I'm not mad at that. 
I, I, I think because this is a different crowd, chances are somebody didn't watch him match after match after match. And a month has passed. And again, this is on, well, I say free TV, cable TV, as opposed to a pay-per-view. There are a lot of people who weren't getting pay-per-views. In a lot of places, even in 1989, where pay-per-view wasn't available. Like you had to go down to your local, you know, cable guy and get a box to attach to the Curtis Mathis TV and pay extra money for that. You had to do this well in advance. People, it wasn't the spur of the moment decision. Like, ah, all right, I'll click the button and get it. Exactly. And, and yeah, see so. with, with, with these matches, I don't feel like I'm watching theatric. I feel like I'm, no. watch, I'm watching a fight. I'm watching two people trying to beat each other. Yeah. And even Steamboat executes a flying head scissors, which that's oh. very, that's very theatrical in the way that it's done. Right. It looked real. Mm -hmm. How the hell did you do that? <laughs> in, well, once he can get you to buy A, B, and C, you're going to buy D, right? I mean, that, that's the thing. You make everything else so realistic that when they start to play around with it a little bit and, and um, you know, get you to just buy into that suspension of disbelief, you're like, okay, yeah, no, all right. It's weird. I don't think that would actually happen, but okay. It, it yeah, makes and, sense here. And, you know, Flair obviously is on both of our Mount Rushmore's. And I don't think he gets enough credit for his breathing in matches. I mean, just in his breathing. Well, again, <sighs> I'll, 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 yeah, put it on mute. As you said, look at his stomach. He's like, <clears throat> I mean, it just looks like, and he's still talking. He's still trash talking. He's still doing stuff, but like his gut is heaving in and out breathing. So, I mean, yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, we talk about heel and babyface. This one part here where Steamboat works Rick's knee for a solid minute, just dropping mm -hmm. elbow after elbow after elbow after elbow. Today's world would kind of see that as a heel a little mm -hmm. bit, but no, there, was, there was, there was a point in him doing that. It's because he's going to sure. put him in the figure four. Well, yeah, it, it's, it's twofold, right? It, it he's going to, he's softening up for the figure four, which I'm really, I definitely want to grind, you know, gear down on that when we get to it. But, but it's also preventing flair from being able to do the figure four himself. Yes. So you know, he's going to cause himself pain in the knees if he if he tries to apply a figure four. It doesn't really go that way in the match, but you can see the psychology behind it. Uh, before we get too far into, because that's in the second fall, if I'm not mistaken. But before we get too far away from the first fall, uh, Flair again powders and pulls on his own hair. Say, hey ref, he's pulling my hair. Like it's not a powder just to powder. And by powder, I mean leave the ring uh, to get outside you know, the ropes. It's not a, uh, he's not doing it just to do it. There's a point in him doing it. And then again, as in the first match, he challenges Steamboat and says, you want to pull hair? Come out here. We can pull hair out here, out, yeah. out in the, at the ringside area. We can't do it in the rings. It's against the rules. But anything goes out here, pal. You want to try me on? Let's go. And not only that, but the fact that he does that is long-term storytelling. This will come into play later. Yes. It's not. He's Flair is starting to make a transition to a baby fit, uh, a very rare <laughs> occasion. In this which, area, yeah. In this very, area, very that, rare, that, yeah. that Ric Flair is going to be a baby. So, mm -hmm. and you know what? We can go ahead and talk about the figure four now. Ric Flair has never finished anybody of any consequence with the figure four. Rarely. It, it's very rare. Very it, it's rare. Usually, and, and you know what? He might want to think think of another move because he's been pinned a lot of times trying to put that. Try to put, Rick, yeah, try to put it on him. Uh, yeah, it's, and don't get me wrong. I mean, figure four is one of the most iconic moves. It dates back to, I believe, Buddy Rogers. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that was his move and that's, which that's is why the nature boy, Ric Flair uses the nature boy, Buddy Rogers move. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I don't know if it goes prior to him, but anyways, I know, Buddy I, I couldn't tell that. you, but yeah, but 
he made it famous. I think uh, you know he he was the one to really popularize it in the popular consciousness. But yeah, and and it wasn't just the figure four that that Steamboat puts on Flair. Also, part of a sequence to put him in a Boston Crab. And yeah. fur, furthermore, to your point, we're trying to soften up those knees so he can't make me tap out to the figure four. Not that he ever could, but <laughs> but. <laughs> Do you want to remove that threat? No, here, here's what I really want people to take a look and notice on the figure four. When Flair puts on the figure four, he doesn't always use his hands. Like sometimes he will, you know, hold on to me, trying to wrench it in by grabbing the foot or whatever. But a lot of times he's grabbing the ropes for leverage. He's pushing up with his hands. Okay, here where I think is a brilliant piece of storytelling and psychology Steamboat has to hold on to the foot. Like he's not a master of the figure four like Flair is. He has to use his hands to keep the move on, which enables Rick to scoot back with his hands and grab the rope. Uh, Steamboat can't stop him. He can't put his hands down or he's going to lose the hold. He can't put his hands down to scoot Flair back towards the center. So I think that is, when we talk about subtlety, we talk about storytelling, that's what I'm talking about. Like little things that if you're not paying attention, it will fly right past you. But if you've watched Ric Flair put on the figure four before, he doesn't always have to use his hands once he's got it applied. Whereas Steamboat, I think the entire time, keeps his hands on Flair's foot because he can't hold it any other way. He's not as experienced with it as Flair is. Yeah, so, and so, yeah, very, very good point on that. So, here and here's one thing that I didn't really understand. is like if one of them gets counted out, does the title change no, th- yeah, they brought that up. I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, no. Because if that's the decisive fall, I would say the championship still doesn't change hands. Now, if it's one of the falls, then it just counts as, you know, if it's the first or second fall. But, yeah, they talked about that. If, you know, that Flair would have won the match, you know, had Seabot been counted out. I was like, I don't think that's true. You know, I would, I wonder if they even thought about that being one of the falls that, steamboat actually wins this match on so mm-hmm. that, that would have given them something else to an out yeah give flair an out yeah. potentially to anyway so the superplex that flair and steamboat do a couple of times in these matches right here i i really like it and i'll tell you why they actually do the superplex from the second rope mm-hmm. the, the one that's being slammed does not go up to the top rope to make it easier to flip them over no they do it from the second rope i don't care about the visual so much is that make me believe that it is real and if right. i see somebody else that's getting slammed climb up onto the top that means he's helping yes and even though they're still helping whenever they bounce off of that i don't really see it so much as as far as visually concerned but when you get onto that third it it, it it's not so much believable obvious cooperation can take you right out of it i, I understand look it's a dance we're working together here but i want you to take me out of that yeah, and you're not going to get as far from the second rope, but that's fine. Matter. Doesn't I just matter. Wa- I just want it to look good. Yeah, I want, it to, I want it to look real, and and that's you know subtle things when it when it comes to this, it's very believable, and I think it's I think it's one of the better superplexes that you. And one thing uh, before we move on from that, uh, prior to the superplex, the steamboat when he flares trying to cover him uh, and he bridges up. What I really like about it is it takes him. I think to the third time to actually get it. Like you see him trying to bridge, trying to bridge. He finally gets it right. I mean, yes. it's, yeah, it's tremendous. It, it's, you know, as we said, he's the consummate baby face. He's not giving up. He's not, he's not going to, yeah, he, tr- he tries surrender to roll. this. He tries, he, he's getting pinned. He tries to roll to the right to get out. He can't get out. Try, he has, almost gets pinned again, tries to roll to the left to get out. 
he can't get out to the left. Well, the only way is out is up. Uh, the only way that was up. And, That's right. And, you know, Steamboat is, well, and Flair, too, are jacked to the gills. Sure. Ste- Steamboat, especially. Um, yeah, Flair always had a, it was weird. I'm watching him, and he's got like, a, he's got a, the outline of a six-pack, but his middle's still kind of soft. Yeah, I'm it doesn't saying. make a lot of sense, but I mean, he looks in great shape. I mean, hell, yeah, I mean, you, can tell, he talk, wor- you but... can tell he works out and drinks cocktails. You're right, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so you really don't see flair and steamboat take a whole lot of rest holds Mm -mm. it's it's usually constant going but they they did throw in a sleeper hold here because uh well let's face it this is going to be an hour-long affair yeah so i think they said they they mentioned it goes 55 minutes yeah 55 minutes but yeah i mean it's it's for most of that 55 minutes we're in constant motion it's incredible yeah uh, and now a 15 or 20 minute match seems like it's a long time you can get lost in this match and not realize how long it's been like i i um pulp fiction is an example to me of a movie that's like over three hours long but it does not feel like it because yeah. the way it's cut the way it's edited the way it's you know, you know multiple different stories within the story this obviously it's two out of three falls so yes it's three different stories within the story but the way they move and how they keep everything running smoothly, this does not seem like an hour. Exactly. So I guess we failed to mention earlier, Flair gets the first fall. He, right. He, he wins it by a roll up. And, you know, and, that, and I think that's the best way to really start this off because they get right out of the sure. roll up and they're standing. They don't even want to wait the 60 seconds. They're ready to go again. Yeah. And it, psychologically, it's the right thing to do because you want your baby face to be in peril here. He's down a fall. He's like, oh, God, he, yeah, his back's against the wall. Uh, as Bamani Jones would say on his podcast, he's staving. He's staving off elimination in the in the second fall here. So psychologically, you want your heel even if it's becoming a nominal heel in Ric Flair as he's going to start turning babyface here in this and the next match, you want him to have the advantage. So your, your babyface has to get off, get up and answer the count, get, get off the carpet basically. And that's what happens. Yeah. And shortly after the superplex, um, Flair actually submits in a the double very, chicken wing. It is a double chicken wing. I don't think I've ever seen anybody else try to do. Uh, well, maybe some luchas. No, I've seen people do it, but it's not a not, finish. Not many. Uh, yeah. It, it almost it almost kind of like a standing surfboard. But yeah, kind of, kind of same principle. Yeah. Well, because especially if you watch Flair lock his legs back behind Steamboat's legs, he, he put, moves his legs back, which kind of stabilizes them, keeps the center of balance where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in, in that regard, it do, definitely looks like a standing surfboard. Exactly. Uh, Terry Funk actually proclaims that this is professional wrestling at its finest right here between the several pinning attempts that Flair attempts with a three-quarter Nelson and putting his arms across. He's Flair is, is showing desperation. Mm-hmm. Flair is trying to figure out a way to pin this guy. And right. he can't find it. So... And, and it's really, that was really sort of a glimpse. And yeah, and Funk is not wrong. Funk is no, not wrong here. I, I think he's, he's earned the right to, and, and they, and as we said prior, they do sort of the same sequences here. Flair does the flip off the turnbuckle, runs to the other one, executes a flying cross body, which is Ricky Steamboat's move. Sure. Uh, and Steamboat almost pins him from a reversal and that's going to come into play again i think in the third match which watching them back to back to back makes it uh, makes it stand out more but that same sequence is going to come into play again and uh we'll talk about it in the third match 
and and flair is really working the knee on right here at the end and the, and this sort of sets up the finish on mm-hmm. target targeting the knee again there's no wasted moves on any of these matches if you're targeting the knee you stay on the knee and it's really going to affect you or affect steamboat in order to like in, in the point where steamboat has somebody up put right. him up in the chicken wing used earlier you can't submit him if you can't stand that's right oh, yeah no it's a it becomes sort of Chekhov's knee here uh, as flair goes to work on on steamboat's knee and it comes to fruition in the finish uh, of the third and final fall which is a little bit quicker than the other two but i mean i think the first fall was like 19 minutes and the second fall was 20 some odd minutes something, I don't know, something like that so 30 35 was it at, at the 35 minute mark okay oh at the 35 okay so yeah so but this one um the third fall comes when uh steamboat's trying to get him up in that double chicken wing submission again he falls backwards basically can't hold him up because of the damage that's been done to the knee if you look at the replay it looks like both guys shoulders are down uh, but a count flare out, although again, Tommy on point position himself where he needs to be, he can't see Rick Flair's foot under the bottom rope, which should break the pit. But from the perspective he's looking at, he can't see it. So he counts, I guess he, in that situation with both wrestlers shoulders sort of down, you would count who hit first. And so that, that would be flair. And so flair gets pinned, although he has a legitimate gripe. And we talk again, we have a, a backstage uh, post-match interview with steamboat and they show the replay and steamboat says, Oh yeah, you know what? He has a point. He, he has a point, but that happens in this business as, as he says. And I think he more or less gets convinced to give him another shot. Right. Um, well, because, cause again, the consummate baby face, fair play, fair is fair. Okay. It, it, as would become the uh, the refrain in just a couple three years from here, it's not fair to flare uh, at this point. So we, we're going to have a, a third and final capping match here, and that brings us into Wrestle War, the Music City, back in Nashville, where Flair's career would p- putatively end this past summer. So, same built, same building. Yeah, is it the same place? Because I remember they had to move it. Yeah, so they did move it to the. Same the building. same facility good yeah so, there's some something poetic there yeah and this uh obviously being the third match they had they wanted no chance that this could possibly have any screwy finish so they're bringing on luthez pat o'connor and terry funk mm, the uh, aforementioned be, terry funk to be judges for the flair steamboat match and as we mentioned earlier flair enters the ring with a i'm gonna call it a bevy women mm. i would say it's a plethora plethora all right of pinatas yeah all right um, i'm just gonna get, <laughs> gonna get that out of my head right now <laughs> but any anyways so he comes in he's got five women with him and then there's like 20 behind him it's and as we said it does look kind of cold in that building uh this is the prototype for the later ho train i believe yeah more on with that the godfather later. More yes on that later <laughs> <laughs> and and comes the family man with his kid on his steed that being of course the dragon steamboat well he's not the dragon he's ricky steamboat mm-hmm. but oh i'm sorry i meant to mention something i apologize uh before we get into too much into the third match uh did you notice in the second match the entrances that's what brought it back to my head we had an lol wcw moment where it was Fla- rick flair r-i-c-k rick flair on the uh, little laser entrance thing as they were coming i was like dude you know he's what? the biggest star in your company y'all can't get this right are you kidding me 
Yeah, what what if like Vince called him Hulk Hagen? Well, that's what, <laughs> you know? no, I'm watching this and I see the RIC cast like say what you want to about Vincent Kennedy McMahon. That would never happen Mm-mm. on his watch. Or if it did, it would happen once. It would happen <laughs> once, and then he would fire the people that did it. He would fire the people that cooperated with him, and they he would fire he'd probably fire Rick just for good measure to make sure it never happened again. How could so, you let that happen? Right. <laughs> so yeah, no, like come on, seriously. And this is again on TBS. This is live and exciting color on, on cable. Uh, anyway, sorry. And this is uh, it bugged, something me. It bugged they, me. This is the point. Well, this is something that they brought up at Wrestle War that I was on a, unaware of. Ricky Steamboat to this point is the only man to ever make Rick, Rick Flair give up submit. Yeah, is that a fact? To to that point in 1989. Now, obviously, wow. he, he does it. Later. Well, later, yeah. But that's great. But that's and really great. also, this is before tapouts so you have to yeah actually, it's a verbal submission to the you referee. have to say yeah. i give up mm-hmm. uh, again foreshadowing we'll come back to that with flair and funk but yeah so flair lands some really hard elbows to the head to start off but steamboat retaliates with chops my god dude the chops and all three of these was, i, I oh, can't brutal i can't put that over it, it's just oh it looks so painful <laughs> but Which, that, that can become a crutch for some wrestlers but i mean if you watch this there's no way you'd accuse them of using that as a crutch but yeah they're they're brutal and oh, i i think back in those days like, when the crowd said woo that's because woo that looks bad ooh, yeah it's less <laughs> of a woo and more of a ooh. yeah and anyways i mean steamboat just keeps chopping him until he does the flare flop now the flare flop is obviously when he walks five steps and face plant now he does one in this match as well where he basically just gets up and then does it like immediately <laughs> it looked great oh okay really no, no 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 five step delay on that one yeah on this one he's like he, he like he broke out of the hold whatever it was and just <laughs> takes playing like immediately it was great yeah well and th- and this uh, you know once again there's there's the hammer lock you know slash wrist lock and this time he actually bridges over to apply more pressure to flair's arm so that the arm i guess is the i guess is a leg from last time it's going after flair's arms so flair counters by carrying steamboat over to the top corner and breaks only to then then to charge on a uh, cheap shot but steamboat has him scouted and dodges and then lands another hip toss or arm drag oh no that was a hip and yeah. drop kicks flair out of the ring you know back in these days like like i stated earlier they don't really go out of the ring a whole lot that was generally reserved for the main eventers and if they if they did that it had to mean something now nowadays everybody goes up it, it would be something if they stayed in the ring here's something well yeah i mean it'd be a real wild thing to say in the ring um here's something i want to point out too if you watch these three matches and i know why and we'll get into why but it's interesting to me i wonder if they go out of the ring because they can't bleed uh because as you know Flair is he'll he'll bleed at the drop of a hat. I mean, seriously, if his hat drops too low, he's gigs enough on his forehead this time. It'll it'll open it up. That's where he keeps um, his blade, <laughs> right? So, but there's no blood in any of these, and obviously that's for Turner standards and practices. That's why. Um, but I wonder if they use that. Like, okay, okay, we can't go to the blood, so let's go outside and brawl a little bit. You know, try try and mix up somewhat. Also, I want to point out Pat O'Connor. If he didn't invent the cauliflower ear my god he got them when they first came out good lord those things are true well and it was interesting that they they were saying that they were judging this match in five minute increments and so 
instead yeah, of rounds yeah yeah well obviously they don't have rounds they don't have rounds so yeah they had to break it up at some so capacity. you know first five minutes well really first 10 minutes ricky steamboat is ahead flair wins one then steamboat comes back and i, I think they, before the end of the match i think they said they had it four two steamboat um mm-hmm. which again could well, it and he'll, he'll talk about that in his uh could lead you to bully, dude. They could have had a fourth match, and it it would have it would have drawn just as much. Money. Oh man, yeah, I could I could watch this match every week. Exactly, and so it, it really when you state that you know Ricky Steamboat is winning by the time the match ends, it really sort of shows you just how good and how competitive these matches were, mm-hmm. uh, because obviously Ric Flair wins with a small package at the end, mm-hmm. uh, so they don't need the judges. Right, but, does not go to the judges' decision. Yeah. So if you got anything else you want to say about this match? Well, yeah, it's just, again, it's a fitting end to what has been just a phenomenal, what is this, a three or four month run, basically, with these? I mean, this is not a long span of time, but man, they put a lot of great effort into it. No, I Um, think uh, Wrestle War was in May, and... Well, the first match was in February. Uh, Chi Town was in, yeah. Was, so, so about three, four months. Yeah. So basically, end of February, then I think April, and then now we're in May. Yeah. Um. Because so yeah, the great Great American Bash was in July with Funk we'll, and Flair. We'll get which we're about to get to, but yeah. So no, it's just um, obviously Flair wins cleanly in, in this match. So again, we're we're starting to we're seeing the evolution of Flair from heel to babyface for at least the amount of time that um, it's going to take him to, to, you know, have his feud with Funk. Um, I, what I liked about it is when Simba at the end, he shakes Flair's hand and raises his arm and it's white meat baby face as you can get. Well, I couldn't help but think of in later years and just a couple of years here, Sting is just going to get foiled again and again by Flair and the horseman. And he looks like a dope, right? Mm-hmm. Like Sting just looks like the most gullible man in professional wrestling. Whereas Steamboat, no, he's like, crap, you got me. Fair and square. I can't say anything about it. Good job. So, you know, there's a way to do it and not make your baby face look like an idiot. Yeah. Um, and so I, I would say that, uh, well, first of all, Steamboat arm drag versus flare chop. Who you got? I say chop because, uh, I mean, there's nothing like that sound. So yeah, that, that, that sound is, uh, recognizable anywhere in the world, main event anywhere, anywhere in the world, but just for pure poetry, poetry in motion, it, it's hard to beat that arm drag. Well, everybody does a flare chop. Nobody does an arm drag like Steam. Right. Yeah. That's a good so point. I tend to, well, probably flare might be more iconic steamboat arm drag being a lot more rare to see and a whole lot of fun to watch. It's not something you think about is the thing like an arm drag is just oh, it's an arm drag whatever it's like the drop kick we talked about with hennig and with uh with a uh, friend of the show carl's favorite randy orton um you know it's not you something know, you necessarily think about but man when you do it right god it looks good hey i'll say i'll say, i'll tell you another guy that had a very underrated drop kick buff bagwell buff bagwell bob holly had a real good drop kick if buff, you watched buff, I mean, his was i mean buff could get lateral i mean yeah and for him being as stocky as he was that, that's he, he had a good amount of athleticism. And I would say the same thing uh, for Bob Holly. He get, does get completely lateral and just full extension. Like, watch his toes, you know, as yeah. he does. I mean, he's straight out. And, yeah, Buff did the same thing. So, yeah, it's a weird thing to really be good at. But when you are really good at it, it, it stands out. Exactly. So, after the match, Terry Funk comes up after the match to congratulate Ric Flair. 
He horns then, in on the interview. That's what I love about it. It's organic. Like yes. Ross is in the ring to uh, to interview Flair, and they're both like, what, what, what are you doing here, Terry? And he says, horns I, in. I just want to congratulate you. That was okay, one of the you, best okay. matches. Hey, thank, thank you, Terry. Thank you. Thank you. You can see you, Jim Ross like, okay, okay, okay. Thank you, Terry. You egg-sucking dog. Well, it's, you know, it's the sober guy and your group of friends going out to the bar. Like, okay, Terry, thank you. Thank now I appreciate that. That's good, buddy. We're good. Just stop. Stop right here. Stop right here. Stop right here. So <laughs> but but yeah, JR plays it to the hill. Well, Flair says that Terry Funk is going Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not in the top 10 in terms of contenders. Which so I miss that, man. Why do we not have top 10 lists anymore? It makes booking so easy. Exactly. And anyway. and Terry uh says that uh well, you think I'm not a contender? Yeah. You're saying and I'm so, not good enough. Well, and so it's it's you want to want to roll this back to the first match. They mention Terry Funk. They show him on on TV. They put him in the second match. So he <laughs> offers his opinions on both Flair and Steamboat. Mm-hmm. Now the third one. He's ringside. He's for, in as it. a judge. Yeah, he's a he part of the match. In it. So I say he long term. Closer. Creeps closer. I, creeps I closer. Say, I say long term. This is a matter of three months. I guess compared to today's booking, I would say that this is much more long term. But let's say instead of that long term, let's say incremental looking okay. like he, he's go. he's mentioned in the first one. He's on commentary for the second one. He's part of the match, theoretically, in the third. So he's get, he inches closer, inches closer, inches closer. Yeah. So, yeah, the first one, they sort of foreshadow the foreshadow. The second mm-hmm. one, they foreshadow the third one. Right. He's there. Are. Yep. And, you know, like I said, in the in the previous two or well, really in all three, he's compared against people that are way older than he is. He looks tremendous. Yeah. Like, He's he's just as in good a shape as Terry Funk's ever been. Sure, and he I'll, honestly he makes his tux look really good. Well, the funny <laughs> thing is, well, he does, except for the fact that he's wearing brown cowboy boots with it. Um, it's a black tux, Terry. Get you the know, black you, boots. You, you noticed that too, huh? I did. I did notice that. But <laughs> honestly, on, I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't know if that was like a really dark navy blue or if it was black, but it did look black. It looks it looked black to me because he had the gray, like silvery gray tuxedo vest underneath it. So I but, think it was a black tux, but I mean, I mean, you're not going to get, you're not, not going to get anybody from the double cross ranch to wear Ugh. regular black shoes, man. That's just saying it stands own. out is, is the point. <laughs> well, yeah. Aside from the fact that he's got an earring with the turquoise, whatever that is. Well, that makes perfect sense. No, if, if Terry Fox going to wear an ear- earring, it's going to be a damn turquoise earring. Let me just say that <laughs> and at this point, it's funny to me. Uh, and we'll see it later in the next match. This is 1989, and at that point, Terry Funk is being referred to as middle-aged and crazy. <laughs> and he would wrestle <laughs> another 20 years. <laughs> like, like at that point, he's middle-aged, quote-unquote middle-aged. And I would argue some of his best work is still ahead of him in the next 10 years. You so, know, <laughs> interesting. Well, uh, certainly the, the flare match, but. Well, the flare match, I mean, ECW. I, I was uh, just thinking that. Charlie. That ECW was actually really good good really good especially considering he had no knees right (laughs) of course he hadn't had knees for (laughs) like years from from this point on right but um by the way if you get a chance watch uh not uh uh the the what was the documentary that they had in 1999 beyond the mat beyond the mat yeah Uh, get if you get a chance watch that sort of details terry funk and And one uh, of his various and sundry retirement matches 
Yeah. He's had several knee replacements, hip replacements, and he's still doing it. And he's still better than half the roster. Right. But well, I don't think he's doing it anymore because now, unfortunately, he's got some dementia issues, if I understand it correctly. Yeah. Thank you. Or some, some kind of neurological. It's, yeah, it, you know, old it's real father, shame. Father, father time catches up with all of us. And, oh, he don't do no jobs. Father well, time he, don't do no jobs. Well, he did a video and he called himself donkey brain. He's uh, don't well see. Okay. I'm sorry. Frank Reynolds would certify that he is in fact donkey brain. <laughs> um, so yeah, but, but, but it's a great job here. Uh, we get the, not the beginning of hardcore because the Tupelo concession say a match in Memphis had already been, you know, several years prior, but we get the pile driver on the table, which is not gimmick clearly. It ain't going nowhere. That thing doesn't budge, which to me, in a way, makes it worse. Like, well, it looks like it hurts no, worse. No, it absolutely does because there's no give. There's no give. You yeah, know, like below, below, it, below it is a nice soft pad. If you went through it, you're Until fine. the Bill Watts days, yeah. And, and then not only that, but that was a hella strong table because you got to figure between flare and funk. That's what, 550? 600 yeah, uh, so not there, 600, I, about, no no flair no, no, well, is alleged to be 245 here i could see funk by, by virtue of being a little taller than him probably in the 250s to 260 range so you're got, uh, easily 500 pounds a quarter ton of humanity if you will uh going down on what is a metal rimmed reinforced table like it's a big table uh it's crazy <laughs> this is uh, like it's it's at least an inch thick and it's not yeah. particle board <laughs> no, no, that's, that's a legit table like, it, like the funny thing is yeah it, it, it like terry i don't know if you planned this or not but he kind of falls off of it it tips with him after the pile drivers like, oh, shit. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know terry real. again it looks spontaneous it looks real I think it was yeah. the, the, I mean, Terry almost hits his head on the back of the steel steps on the steps. Yeah. Cause he falls and, backwards off the table. He wasn't expecting it. Oh man. And, and not only that, the part where he, where he, where he decks flair, but yeah, they get into a brawl, a brawl here and it's just, oh man, classic stuff. And he said, he says, oh, you're not a contender. And then Terry just beats his ass. And he's like, says, oh, I'll give you, he's like, okay, no. I'm sorry. I'm backing off. Hey, listen, handshake, give you some respect. The old and quote, unquote, the dirtiest player in the game, Rick Flair falls for the fake handshake punch. Come on. What are we doing <laughs> yeah. here? All right. Well, well, you know, sting uh, and flair. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, Funk gets on the mic after he just beats the hell out of Ric Flair. And you can't hear him. Hits, hits him with the chair, puts him on the table, like pile drives him on the table, not through it, which means it hurts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, and then he says, he says, I'm not a contender. At, I'll look at him now. <laughs> the banana nose. <laughs> Horse tooth, banana nose jerk. That's right. Golly. And, oh, and, 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 and like, I'm watching this. I'm like, I love Terry. Terry Funk. <laughs> God. Yes. He's amazing. More, more Terry Funk, less, you know, like Velveteen Dream. <laughs> well, hey, I, I enjoyed the Velveteen Dream. Let's just, let's not go too far I, with him. I but, enjoyed yeah. his matches, his mic work. No. <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah. So Terry Funk is now set up here to contend with Ric Flair for the, uh, for the belt at, I believe, the Great American Bash coming up. So, yeah, I think that this uh, wraps up this entire gosh, trilogy here. Trilogy. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, gosh, what can you say? It shows the best of what professional wrestling can be when it's done right. It's not always this, unfortunately. Um, but to be fair, 
if everything was like this, this wouldn't stand out, right? So just a great, great series of matches. Uh, as we as we talked about the culmination with Flair and Funk going not through the table since it wasn't gimmicked, uh, which actually leads us into uh, this week's Talking Smart. All right. It's time for Talking Smart. It is the point in our show where JD takes a wrestling term and explains it to our audience. Take it away, JD. Well, this, uh, as we, as we mentioned, the gimmick table, I want to talk about the term gimmick. It is a term that started off originally. It meant a wrestler's persona, like the honky tonk man is an Elvis impersonator. That's his gimmick. Uh, the Ricky, the dragon steamboat. He's this mystical, you know, uh, far East sort of martial arts character. The dragon was his gimmick. That's what gimmick initially meant. Gimmick then sort of morphed into well, okay, I sell my gimmicks at the at the merchandise stand, whether it's a picture, a T-shirt, or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, that's that became a gimmick as well. Eventually, gimmick becomes this sort of all-encompassing catch-all term that can take the place of any noun in professional wrestling. The gimmick in a match could be, you know, a foreign or excuse me, an international object. It could be, um, you know, the stipulation of a match could be a gimmick, like. Um, TNA's lockdown pay-per-view was pointed out as being a gimmick pay-per-view because every match was in a cage. So it had this bizarre sort of a gimmick to it. Um, gimmick is also referred to outside of the ring uh, as perhaps some illicit substances. So gimmick is very heavily context dependent, but it started off as a description of a character, a wrestler's persona. And that is this week's Talking Smart. All right. Well, do we have any friend of the show, Carl updates? No, no, I think we talked enough about friend of the show, Carl, during our Randy Orton dropkick seminar. <laughs> we can never have enough friend of the show. Carl. Oh, updates. actually I do have a, you know, it just popped up in my messaging here. Um, I do have a message from friend of the show, Carl, put the belt on Randy. That, that's our, uh, friend of the show, Carl update. Oh, you know what? He just sent me a Mount Rushmore of, <laughs> of finishers. <laughs> oh God. Coming in at number one, the RKO. Hmm. Coming in at number two, the punt. The punt kick. Yeah, watch out now. <laughs> Coming in at number three, still the RKO. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Coming in at number four, anything other than Roman Reigns finish. <laughs> I was really, I was holding out for the Garvin stomp on that one. <laughs> so, friend of the show, Carl, thank you so much. You bring so much joy in our lives. But, anyways, if you got anything else you want to add? No, I think, uh, I think I've added about as much as I can. Uh, we are actually uh, let you have a peek behind the curtain. As you point out, we're not on our regular recording schedule. Uh, it is actually the first day, week zero of college football uh, starting up. So I have to go drink until I can't feel feelings. There you so go. Let's well, go do it. Well, George is not playing today. So maybe. I know, but I got to get in game shape. I got I to get in midseason form. We're I mean, starting what? out hot. Well, I mean, we've never been in this position before. That's, not in my uh, lifetime. Not, not in my lifetime. So I don't, uh, should I start drinking earlier? Or just... Yes. Okay. Yes. It's, okay. it's state induced uh, replication here. So get as drunk as you were for the national championship game. Let's go. Oh gosh. Let's not do that. But anyways, so nothing else to be had or said here. Well, we just Did look you? forward to next week when we will be discussing uh funk and flair funk and with and a little, a little uh, side dish. Of Cornet and Paulie Dangerously. Oh, uh, it's honestly 1989 Great American Bash is one of the greatest pay per views ever. Oh, it's it's fantastic. It's, yeah. it's, it's top to bottom is really good. But anyways, JD, since we have nothing else to say, I will wish our audience adieu. Uh, do. Don't hurt yourself now. <laughs>